College is full of experiences you would not willingly choose for yourself. Early mornings in the pool, afternoons practicing scales, late nights studying for a final, or living in Campbell Hall. <laughs> Some aspects of being away from home might be excitingly novel, but there are also chores like laundry to do. And there is an emotional toll to being far from loved ones and what is familiar, as our international students know especially well. Those in student government know the joy of running a successful event, but also the dull planning that went into it, reserving rooms, buying supplies, recruiting volunteers, and so on. In the week leading up to a show, I sometimes fear our theater students have forgotten where they live. Around 2 a.m., they still seem to be busy here in Spencer rather than happily sleeping in their dorms. Our athletes know the pain of lifting weights, the exhaustion of running sprints, the tedium of performing drills for the hundredth time. Even travel is not always as fun as you might expect with early departure times, late returns, and cramped bus rides. Our poor women's basketball team even has to survive winter in Florida sometimes. Well, scratch that, that probably is something they would willingly choose. As students, you complete various papers, problems, and exams. Seniors in education busily study for the praxis test. In art, they paint and design and stage their showcase. In my department, we require majors in biblical studies and Christian thought to write a 30 to 40 page thesis. We talk about this as the culmination of a student's academic work in theology, but of course it is really just our devious plot to exact torture on our students. Imagine the villains of some Disney movie crackling with malevolent laughter in a back room somewhere. Those are your theology and ministry professors. <laughs> These are just a sampling of the less savory aspects of life as a college student. It is not hard to find aspects that you would do away with if you could. But here's the funny thing. In five years, 10 years, or 50 years, many of those moments will be the ones that you remember most. A couple of decades removed from college, I can certify that this is true. In some cases, you'll recall these unenviable things in spite of the experience. There was nothing excellent about the cafeteria itself at my college. During my freshman year at the Colorado School of Mines, it literally ranked dead last in food quality among the hundreds or thousands of colleges reviewed. We are number one, we are number one. But laughing about, <laughs> few people thought that was funny. <laughs> but laughing about how bad the food was fostered camaraderie. In more cases, however, the unpleasantness or drudgery leads to the success you desire. You score the winning goal because you practiced a little harder. You won regionals in debate because of the many training sessions. You secured a management job, were certified as an athletic trainer, or were admitted to KU Med because of your faithfulness in doing homework, in attending class, and studying. Those things you didn't willingly choose become things you would never give back. I want to consider one aspect of Sterling College that many of you would not choose, but I hope comes to have a profound effect on you, your gen eds. Now, I like learning, and I find many fields of study interesting. I could probably get hooked on a PBS special on dung beetles. So I am a natural champion of a general education, but I still find myself, when signing freshmen and sophomores up for classes, speaking of knocking out your gen eds, as if they are an arbitrary hoop to jump through that has no intrinsic meaning. And the national mood is against a robust core curriculum, perceiving it as outdated. Even President Barack Obama indulged a cutting remark about studying art in a speech at a Wisconsin factory in 2014, saying, 
you folks can do a lot more with skilled manufacturing or trades than with art history. I set this example not as a dig at President Obama, but as an illustration of a much wider trend to frame education narrowly as preparation for a career, college as handmaiden to the market. Obama is hardly alone in this. In fact, the Republican Senator Marco Rubio blasted Obama for not going far enough in deprecating art. Obama was America's most professorial president in a century. It tells us much about America's view of college if even President Obama would downplay a broad education. So then, what good are the gen eds? As someone who spends about half of his work time teaching them, let me give you my four reasons. A core curriculum is a benefit to your career, to society, to your life, and to your faith. So first, your career. Given what I just said, you might be surprised that I list this at all, but I want to spend the most time on this point. I am mindful of the expense of higher education. Student loan debt in America sits at an eye-popping $1.7 trillion. This is the second biggest source of debt in the US, behind home mortgages, but above credit cards and auto loans. The average borrower owes $38,000, and for about 3 million Americans, the figure is north of six figures. These are big numbers, and it has led to a considerable loss of confidence in the value of college. I appreciate the work our college administration does in keeping expenses down, and our advancement department does to raise funds from our donors. A sterling education with no state funding competes with the likes of K-State for the cost we charge per student. Still, I anticipate that most of you will leave with at least some debt. Your, your ability to secure gainful employment must be one of our major goals. And indeed, despite growing perceptions to the contrary, a college degree is, worth, is a worthwhile investment for nearly every graduate. The US government's data suggests that a bachelor's degree roughly halves the chance of unemployment and doubles your income compared to a high school diploma. The average college graduate nets over a million additional dollars in income over the course of a 40-year career than she would without a degree. This is why those who dig into the numbers almost always affirm that a bachelor's degree is among the best financial investments you can make. At this point, I have only defended the value of college itself for your career. The gen eds often seem like an obstacle toward what really matters, your major. This is because we view career training narrowly as if one specific set of competencies honed in your department of choice is where the important preparation happens. But in point of fact, research indicates that a whole slate of skills is what makes higher education worthwhile. Reading thoughtfully, reasoning clearly, writing cogently, and speaking confidently are essential to your education at Sterling. And many of these abilities are primarily developed outside your major. In 2011, there was a minor dust-up between Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, and Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. While Gates desired more students to enter majors that are well-correlated to areas that actually produce jobs, by which he meant science, technology, engineering, and math, the STEM fields, Jobs preferred uh, technology married with the liberal arts, married with the humanities. Both tech giants have a point. I graduated with STEM degrees, math and economics, and I appreciate my education. And big paychecks do often await those in technology not long after commencement. At the same time, all else being equal, taking more than half of your classes outside your major is associated with higher income and higher leadership positions in the long run. And those with degrees in the liberal arts core, 
as, at Sterling College, often see a surge in wages several years into their careers. Implicitly or explicitly, American society communicates that the reason you go to college is to pick up skills to prepare you for your profession. This is true. What society often fails to tell you, however, is that many of those skills come in your gen eds. So your general education prepares you for your career. But it does more than that. With my next three reasons for the gen eds, I cast a wider vision than job training. The second most cited purpose of higher education is that it is good for democracy. This also deserves mention, though I will be briefer here. A significant segment of America is skeptical of our system of colleges and universities, but this is, I trust, a concern with higher education as it exists and not in principle. Intuitively, there are many benefits to a nation having an educated populace. Let me give you two. First, the principle of a republic is that the people have the final say in who represents them. However blemished this ideal is in practice, Every so often, Americans turn out to vote in primaries and general elections, selecting candidates and deciding issues from a county clerk to the president of the country. Your vote affects me and my vote affects you. To have a well-informed citizenry will help us make wiser choices. This was the conviction of our founders. Thomas Jefferson, the third president and author of the Declaration of Independence, in his later years founded the University of Virginia because, in his words, the basis of government is the opinion of the people. Likewise, his sometimes bitter rival, John Adams, who preceded Jefferson as president, the whole people must take upon themselves the education of the whole people. A second reason why education is good for democracy is that it furthers the standing of the United States and allied nations on the global stage. The era of American dominance is fading. We are entering an age of parity, with competition and hopefully cooperation between the US and China, as well as Germany, India, Brazil, and Nigeria, among others. There are many things that will contribute to America's success, or lack thereof, in the coming decades. One of them will be higher education. Some of the critical needs are obvious and technical, and so engineering colleges and trade schools have great value. But many of the concerns that will be pressing in 2030, much less 2050 or 2070, are not yet evident. A broad education is the best way to prepare for the unknown. A famous remark by Richard Riley, Secretary of Education under Bill Clinton in the 1990s, before most of you were born, of course, remains relevant. We are currently preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist, using technologies that haven't been invented, in order to solve problems that we don't yet even know are problems yet. Let me move to my third reason. If you read books and articles about the purpose of college, which I do, being both nerdy and employed by a college, you'll find that the two reasons I have already given, job training and the national interest, are the ways most people in academia justify their existence. Angel Del Banco, a professor at Columbia University, has articulated, or more accurately, revived a third reason, that college is about cultivating a life well-lived. This is not how we usually talk about college today, but it is built into terminology used at colleges. The humanities, roughly everything that is not science or professional studies, search for what it means to be human. The liberal arts, a term I've used already to describe Sterling's philosophy of education, were the arts, a word that used to mean skills, that liberated you, that set you free to consider the world for yourself and to contribute meaningfully to it. The liberal arts covered disciplines we would today call writing, public speaking, philosophy, mathematics, science, and music. Traditionally, the liberal arts were reserved for the elite, 
but colleges like Sterling believe that everyone deserves the chance to think deeply about what it means to be human. Del Banco provides many elegant argu arguments for this idea. His pithiest phrasing might come, however, from his colleague, Judith Shapiro, who encourages students, you want the inside of your head to be an interesting place to spend the rest of your life. This has become somewhat cerebral, so let me ground this point in um, your lives and my life. I'll start with you. You don't need to know what your major is right away. And when you pick your major, you are not locking in your forever destiny. For many Americans, our work has become our God, and therefore choosing a major can seem like an unbearable burden. What if I get this wrong? But college is in part about discovering what life is all about, and the gen eds are an ideal place to taste how the different disciplines work to answer that question. When selecting a major, I'd encourage you to make an informed choice about what you might want to do with your life, but don't worry if things change. After all, as I noted already, the broad set of skills that you learn across your education plays a prominent role in securing a job and, even more so, getting promoted. I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living when I went off to college, and things have worked out for me. Five days a week, I'm happy with my choices. Let's see if anyone got, okay. <laughs> I applied to various programs scattered from writing to tourism management. In the end, I settled on economics and then I picked up a math degree during my freshman year. Now I'm in biblical studies. It's been a winding road. I've already pivoted to my story, so let me share one crucial step in how I traveled from the STEM fields to theology. In my undergraduate days, the hardest class I took was neither my, in neither of my majors, nor in physics or chemistry. It was an honors literature course, Paradoxes of the Human Condition. As mean as a professor as I am, requiring perhaps 20 chapters of biblical reading between class periods, I am nowhere close to as mean as my instructors were in this class. A typical weekly assignment would be to read all of Homer's Odysseys, Odyssey, about 500 pages long, and a Platonic dialogue, much shorter but very dense, then report back with a well-crafted five-page essay. On the essay, everyone was likely to score 70% or less, and an award for worst essay was handed out at the start of class week by week, with a Darth Vader mug sitting in front of the offending student for the rest of the three-hour class period. Now, there are a number of things about this pedagogy that I won't replicate, so if you have me in class this semester, don't worry. But the class engaged the great question that we all naturally ask, life and death, freedom constraint, truth and falsehood, meaning and futility. I frequently think back to that course that I took two decades ago, and it was one reason I departed from the sciences to the humanities. To return to Shapiro's quotation, it made my head a more interesting place to dwell. I hope my classes make your heads more interesting places as well. So far, my vision of the gen eds could be affirmed by any liberal arts college across the world. And I hope all three of these reasons that I have so far given apply to the entire student body. But Sterling is not simply a liberal arts college. It is a Christian liberal arts college, and despite my, despite my departmental affiliation, nothing I have said yet pertains uniquely to a Christian view of education. I turn to this with my fourth rationale for the general education. For those of you who are Christian, it can nourish your faith as you contemplate God, fellow human beings who are made in God's image, and God's good world. Two of the central convictions of Christianity lend themselves towards study of the world in all its complexity and diversity. One conviction is the importance of ideas. Christianity isn't oriented to belief to a degree no other religion is. 
characteristic of Judaism is the observance of, God, observance of God's laws and debating how they apply. Characteristic of Buddhism is meditation and mindfulness. Characteristic of Christianity is making creeds, that is, statements of what we believe on various topics. Now, creeds usually pertain to matters religious, but the motivation behind them is to say true and useful things about God and his world. This leads to the second central conviction, the importance of created reality. Some Christians downplay the physical world, but in the sweep of scripture, creation is dear to God, declared to be good at its beginning and entrusted to humans to be tended and cared for. When this goes awry with Adam and Eve, the rest of the Bible tells a narrative not only of human redemption, but creation's restoration. The story ends not in the clouds, but on a new earth joined to a new heaven. This vision offers Christians a full-throated endorsement of all fields of study, once they are appropriately attuned to God. Yes, the three gen eds from our department, Intro to Old Testament, New Testament, and Basic Christian Doctrine, teach you about God. And I hope Christians approach these classes as a means to know God better. If you do believe in one God, then knowing him is the most important knowledge you could desire, and we want to assist you in that. But I hope, also hope that you approach all your courses this way. One psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and another proclaims, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Here, astronomy and anatomy lead to worship. The Bible describes Solomon, one of the Old Testament kings, as the author of 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs, someone capable to explain all plant life and an able statesman. It would seem he could join our faculty in music, biology, or political science. The point is that all your gen eds can teach you about God and God's work in the world, if you have the eyes to see it. As you return to your classes in the coming hours, days, and weeks, I encourage you to approach them all, including your gen eds, as meaningful. You do not pick every class you are in. If you were given a choice, you would opt out of some of them. But again, many of the things you wouldn't necessarily choose become the things you would never give up. As much as you can then, cultivate curiosity across your coursework, a craving to learn and a delight in doing so. In some cases, this will be harder than others. A history geek may shudder at math, though we have two fantastic professors in that department, and a science nerd may dread my class. Other students would pre prefer to be in the gym, on the stage, or at work to any classroom. So it might take discipline and reminders to yourself to stay engaged. But often, enjoyment comes later, after you have developed a habit of approaching life with a good attitude. So know this, there is a purpose behind, behind all the classes you are taking at Sterling College, in your core curriculum as well as in your major, because our ambition is to provide you an education for your career and for your life. Thank you.